Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Like logging and many other things that you have to do in most applications, email is something that seems simple, but has a lot of hidden complexity, especially as your application scales. While simple approaches may be good early on, the way your application handles email will necessarily get more complex over time. In this episode, we're going to discuss some issues you may encounter while using email in your applications, along with some ways that you can prevent these problems, as well as why they occur in the first place. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, we weren't able to record on Tuesday because we had mm-hmm. yet another round of plumbing problems from Saturday till well, Saturday morning until Tuesday night at about 9.30. We couldn't really run the dishwasher or the washing machine and you had to take quick showers. So it was still draining, but not real fast. And you'd be amazed how much stuff piles up when that goes on. So it was, was kind of gross. They got it all fixed. I don't really want to get into too many details because somebody's probably uh, eating something greasy right now. So <laughs> just out of mercy. So yeah, that was uh, that was fun. Also, my team lead informed me the other day that he has now caught up completely on episodes of the podcast. So he's listened to all of it. So he's listening to this one now. Yeah, probably. So hi, Will's team lead. <laughs> yeah. So like, I asked him, I was like, Zach, how do you, how are you wanting to hear my voice at all? Like at work, like, didn't that bother you in a conference call at this point? <laughs> Apparently not. So I think that's pretty cool to have, you know, as much content as we've created and somebody's actually sat through all of it. So, yeah, that is really, really awesome because I haven't listened to all of it and I right. used to do the editing. I mean, I recorded all of it, so I will listen to it once, I guess. But yeah, but I didn't even record all of it because there was there was one or two conferences where you went and I didn't go. I think there was like one after I had hernia surgery. Yeah, there was, and, and then there was um, something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I remember those. I, f- I forgot about that, but yeah, I remember that now. So yeah, yeah, you you haven't even been part of all of it. Yeah, wow, that's. Uh... <laughs> That's interesting. But yeah, I um back when I edited, I would listen to it uh two or three times going through the full editing process. And now that we have an editor, I don't listen to every episode. I'll go through and listen to parts of them, but yeah. So what's going on with you? Well, things are moving along at the new job. I was put as lead on an Angular team. That's interesting. I haven't uh, built much with Angular in quite a while. So I've been uh, going through Pluralsight courses for a refresher. Had my first pair programming session with a junior developer today. That went really well. We grabbed a story and uh, it was like a full, basically adding a table to a view. So like full build out the component, call the API, like all that process in there. So that was really cool. We we got a good way through it. Started off, we had two two one-hour sessions today. One in the morning where we kind of broke it down and looked at, uh, okay, here's... We kind of got to know each other a little bit and also broke down the story and we're like, all right, this is what we need to do. This is what we're going to do. We kind of tasked it out a little bit. And then this afternoon, we hopped on again and uh, worked on it a little bit. Ran into a couple of issues. That was a lot of fun troubleshooting with him. We had a we had a good time. So stuff is changing at church too. Our tech team leader is leaving to go back into the mission field. Uh, she uh, actually came out of the mission field. She'd been in Thailand for several years. Came out uh, a couple of years before I joined the church. 
to help out with a few things and ended up taking over the tech team. And now she's going back helping. There's a, we have a church that we sponsor in Colombia, and she's going to help them kind of become more independent so that we can plant another church. So yeah, it's really cool. Really exciting. Because of that though, uh, we are going to be without a lead on the team. So of the three of us, the audio lead was chosen to take over. He's going to do a good job. He's a bit shy and introverted, but uh, I think it'll be good. I'll still be over cameras, but uh, we'll probably be spending more time directing than actually physically on a camera because I'm one of the few people that's trained for that. I'll also be doing a lot of our pre-service huddles because of the three of us leaders on the team, I am the outgoing one. That's just the way it is. And uh, speaking of mission trips, Amanda is heading out on her mission trip this week. Given that, I have a lot of uh, free time on my hands coming up. So I went ahead and downloaded Subnautica, played that a little bit the other day. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And I will be getting Mass Effect as well. So those are going to be my two games that I play while she's away. Should be fun. Our, uh, the audio lead, who's now going to be the team lead, is a big fan of Mass Effect. And when I told him that I was going to start playing it, his response was, can I come over and watch? Because apparently it's very cinematic and just a lot of fun to to watch. And he just wants to see my reactions to things. So he will probably be disappointed because I, I, I don't really like react a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I'm playing video games. I'm just like, you know, just go through it. Yeah, I don't need it to be more stressful than life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's. Yeah, no, I think they're that he and the other lead are just expecting me to be like, oh wow, that's amazing, and like, I will say though, the first time you run into a Reaper Leviathan in Subnautica, you probably will have a reaction. They they did well on that, as far as just the feels, especially if it gets a hold of you. I've got a friend who. Got about halfway through the game and quit because he couldn't handle that. <laughs> wow. He's just like, I'm out. And he plays a lot of horror games, but he's just like this one. It it hits somewhere deep within your psyche that is older than humanity. And you just don't like stuff coming out of the water for you. Saving money is hard, especially when you uh, are buying new video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lucas Casares is, is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he also likes to play video games. But he is going to help you by focusing on creating a real plan and also taking action to live your best life. Investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances with the help of Level Up. And what you're getting here really is a compounding effect of your investment. So you'll you'll make the money back is basically mm-hmm. the idea here. Yeah, it's it's really cool because Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. And what that means is he's not here to sell you a product. So like you pay him for a service. And because of that, he has a really interesting unique pricing model that starts with you where you are and works from there. We were actually just talking to to someone yesterday who had started up with Lucas and did his initial call and the pricing and stuff. And he was like very excited because looking at what was going to happen, he was going to end up bringing in or saving more money, so much more money than he was spending on on the actual service that he was like, this is just amazing. It is well worth the money. And if you want to find out more amazing stuff and, and learn more, uh, there are more resources available at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Email is a pain, but is absolutely required for most modern applications to function well. We haven't come up with anything better yet. Whether it is for sending invoices, password requests, or simply notifications, you'll probably be making changes to your application's email components early and often, or building them. 
uh, while you can get by with a terribly implemented email system for years, you'll eventually find that problems in such a system will get more annoying and distracting over time as your application scales up. Now, while it's easy to fix simple email issues early on when you know only half a dozen people or so are receiving your emails, it becomes more difficult when there are hundreds of people on your system and all-consuming if there happen to be thousands. Email also seems simple. It's kind of like a logging setup in that you might be tempted to think that you can just build out your own application's email functionality in an afternoon and call it done. And you'll be right for a while, but it's kind of like a a hacky, poorly planned logging setup because it eventually causes more problems than it solves. There's a lot of complexity behind the scenes, and that complexity can interfere with application stability, usability, and possibly even run your cost through the roof if you aren't careful. Worse still, there are quite a few issues with regulatory compliance at this point around email, and there are steep fines if you break them. And finally, even if you manage to avoid all these problems, there is still an extremely diverse set of email account providers, email clients, spam filters, all that kind of stuff out there, all of which do things in a slightly different manner that can make your emails look horrible or even keep them from working at all. The thing you have to understand as we go through this is that you probably won't be able to solve all of your email issues at once. Instead, you'll end up solving email-related problems piecemeal, piece by piece, as you run into them. However, there are a set of general practices and rules you can observe that will dramatically reduce the number of problems that email causes for you. While not a perfect set of rules, the things we're going to discuss in this episode will get rid of a lot of simple problems so that you can deal with more complex ones. In this episode, we're going to discuss a number of best practices for email within professionally produced applications. Not only are we going to tell you what the rules are, but we're also going to discuss the problems they are intended to solve, as well as the reason for those problems in the first place. So, the first best practice is don't practice at all. Yeah. (laughs) Don't host your own email server. You know, it sounds like something that's really easy to do, but there's a lot of crap that comes with it. Besides all the attempted attacks to try to use your server for spam that are going to come with it, you're going to have a lot of downtime. You're going to have a lot of deliverability problems. Unless you're extremely good at doing this kind of sysadmin work, in which case, why you're coding, you should just be doing that because that's a whole field of its own, you know? I mean, it's pretty awful if you've ever had to go into the guts of it. Even if you really are good, it's probably still cheaper to outsource this to a third party. There's a reason people don't do this themselves on purpose. I mean, there's a reason that there are quite a few really good third parties out there who do this. I guess if you are one of those third parties, you're going to host your own. But I mean, you know, (laughs) if you think about it that way. Now, if you're doing mailing lists, Some sites like MailChimp can cover a lot of your needs, while transactional emails can be handled by things like Mandrel, SendGrid, a lot of others. Like we've used MailChimp in the past for our stuff. Yeah, for our mailing list emails, uh, especially. And I've used Mandrel um, as well. So it, and they work. And the amount of stuff that you don't have to do when you do that is kind of nice. I mean, it, really makes a difference. (laughs) And if you're doing cloud work, you know, you're on Amazon or AWS, your cloud provider likely has a lot of email-related functionality available for a much lower price than the cost of hosting your own. Unless you're just handling crazy volume, it's not worth it financially to host your own server and put up with all the stuff that goes with that. That's one of the really cool things about all the cloud providers out there and the whole platform as a service type stuff is that you don't have to deal with a lot of these complexities and you can do the things that you're good at. Assuming this is not what you're good at and which, again, if this is what you're good at, then you're a masochist, (laughs) so go be happy. I don't know. (laughs) This this point is not for you. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, we talk about the infrastructure. It's pretty huge, right? Because it's not just, hey, I'm sending out an email and, and firing and forgetting, right? Like you've got to handle things like subscriptions to go, this user does not want to be contacted at this address. If you continue doing that, you're going to get hit with regulatory stuff. Plus you tick people off. So there's that. There's being able to track, you know, bounces to go, hey, these addresses are bad. There's just so many different things that you really are going to want and your marketing people are probably going to want or your ops people. And it's just not like you would be better off not being in the middle of that unless that's something you specifically want to do. It's probably not a differentiator for you, but it will be a cost. The other thing is third-party email providers, they provide a lot of other infrastructure for you, such as what was talking about being able to track when the emails bounce. If you don't have this, you're going to have to build that functionality out yourself. And again, if you're not an email service provider, that's not a good use of your time. Yeah. Cause I've built that for a software package. We built it on top of Mandrel. You know, Mandrel did good work as far as being able to tell us when stuff bounced, but it was a pain to get those dashboards looking right. And where people could get, you know, like that's, Dashboard design is no joke. And for something that's not a core application responsibility, uh, it's it's awful hard to justify. <laughs> the more you go into it, the worse it gets. And speaking of that kind of thing, you also need to have a way for people to manage how you contact them. This needs to be built into your application probably from day one. There are a lot of anti-spam laws that have been passed over the years, and you're not going to be able to avoid them forever. And even if you can, honestly, your you know spam filtering software has gotten better too. These laws are often structured, honestly, around how people react in real life to junk email. Um, In this case, the law is actually somewhat reasonable guidance for how to act so that you don't tick off your users. It's rare that I say, hey, this law kind of, they kind of hit the point on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, that is very true. Will doesn't like laws. No, I really don't. (laughs) You know, but, uh, but on this one, at the very least, you look at the law and you go, hey, this the things that they're suggesting here, if I do this, it's going to tick people off less. It's not like it's completely out of left field. Also, users are going to want to customize the way that you contact them, just in general. And you probably shouldn't build out email functionality in your application unless you plan to have this in place. Which I say that is I reconfigured my NAS to send me alerts when stuff fails because I had a backup that was silently failing. <laughs> And I fix that and I get an email every single day from the from this device and I can't make it not daily. And it drives me up the wall and it's like, I own that. That's annoying. Yeah, but I literally did this to myself. <laughs> and it irritates me. So imagine if some third party does that to you. It's not, not good from a user perspective. Regulatory compliance is going to be critical to make sure that your company doesn't get hit with a fine for sending spam. Whether you're doing so or not, If you get this right, you reduce your risk. And honestly, you're going to want to do that before regulatory pressure gets on you. Mm -hmm. If you look like, hey, you're trying to do it right, the fines are not going to be as bad if you do screw up. Yeah, that's that's true. Like, not always. And and a lot of times you can show, hey, here's here's what we have in place, and this is the system that failed. Yeah, this is the check that failed that caused this to happen. And if like it's that. on some other third-party provider, <laughs> that's what they're here for. They're a human shield. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hey, I'm completely fine with that. I'm like uh, like Longshanks and Braveheart, you know? <laughs> Send the email service providers in. <laughs> the, the, the bankrupted cost nothing. Wow. So, <laughs> Well, on that... In addition to avoiding regulatory problems, allowing users to customize their interactions with you can often improve their perception of your application. I mean, if they know you're using human shields, there's only one way to go, and that is up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you tell them, right? Then you're honest. (laughs) And then it's all uphill. Yeah, there you go. There you go. While this may not be as important for transactional emails, it is critical for emails that are sent as a regular event for a software as a service app or a service. 
Otherwise, people will start blocking your emails as spam. Yeah, looking at you, GoDaddy. <laughs> like I, it's like I dumped them, and they're like the overly attached girlfriend of domain registrars. It's just like this. I get emails from them every day, and I'm unsubscribed. I cannot make. I, I guess I'm going to change my email account. So, speaking of failures, the next one is you have to be able to handle email failures in a granular fashion. And, and what I mean by that is emails will fail to send. Um, if you have emails going out to five people, one of those people's email addresses will be wrong in a lot of contexts. They mistyped, they gave you a bad email address, uh, their email account, their mailbox really probably doesn't get full as much anymore, but there's going to be that one guy that has kept everything since you know 1996 in his email box and it's full. <laughs> using pine or something and like you'll run into those people so they fail and there's a lot of business cases where the same email gets sent to multiple people and if one of the addresses doesn't work you have to be kind of thinking about how you're going to handle that so you know you you put five of them in the two list or the cc list or you know bcc even and you send them out one of them fails do you resend all five do you send a separate one? Like you need to be thinking this stuff out. You know, a lot of things can go wrong with this. Will was talking about, you know, a single email failing, causing it to repeat. Uh, another thing that could happen is a failure can mean that not everyone gets the email, which could cause business related problems. People not getting our emails we were sending out. Annoying but not drastic to our business model here. But in other cases, that could be a big problem. Yeah, let's say that, I don't know, you have a per-use charge on your app and somebody exceeds it and their bill's about to double and you send them an email warning them and they don't get that email and their bill doubles. Now they're calling you at the end of the month and they think it's fraud. Not that I've ever seen that one happen. <laughs> Actually, I haven't seen it this year. I'll mm. say that. We're we're almost halfway through the year. That's pretty good. Yeah. I have seen the multiple emails, you know, carpet bombing in a loop thing this year, though. Failures can also happen very slowly, meaning that if you get enough of them, the delivery of email could be slow for your entire application. So let's take a, a scenario where you have multiple tenants in your system. You got a bunch of people using it, a bunch of different, you know, separate businesses. You need to make sure that outbound email failures for one tenant don't slow down delivery for everybody else. We have an episode on multi-tenant apps, and I don't remember if we covered email for that. Um, but basically, the idea here is you're going to have you're going to have one or two companies in your list that are like your probably the the worst clients that you have, and those are the kind of people that if they're sending a bunch of emails out through your app they put in a address list that's a bunch of crap because they don't clean it up. And if they're not, you know, kind of partitioned off from everybody else, they'll degrade performance for everybody with yeah. their errors. I've seen that plenty of times. Also, make sure that information about failures is easily retrievable. I mean, we, we talk about logging and stuff like that a lot, but uh, this is because you will likely need it for diagnostic purposes at some point. If anything, you'll need it to be like, hey, we sent it and your server was down for like a week. So. And and that happens. Um, yeah. So uh, honestly, you know, keep a GUID ID for emails that are outbound. Write that sucker to an S3 bucket somewhere. Keep it for six months. Uh, if yep. there's no regulatory compliance stuff around it, otherwise you may actually have to keep it a lot longer. But definitely be able to do that. So we've kind of hinted around this, but the next point is to send emails out of band. You know, if a user action triggers the sending of an email, such as, you know, create account workflow, or what I've seen a lot is email on submission. So it's like, hey, here's here's the form you submitted, like the original form, and usually an email about it'll be processed within this time frame. It is generally a bad idea to make the user wait for the system to send the email. 
generally speaking, you are going to want to do this out of band in a backend process so that you don't chew up like the web server resources for it. Yeah. So a lot of your web servers are kind of limited on how many uh, running threads you can have. Well, actually, you are on any computing <laughs> at some mm-hmm. level, right? And so when they try to send to some crappy email server and you've got retry logic and all that kind of stuff going on, if you've got enough users signing up, they could back up the system and basically slow it down. So you don't want to allow that. Plus, yeah. honestly, most of the time, if, you're, if it's important enough to send an email, you need them to go on through the rest of the process because there's some value provided there and the email's probably not it. Now, this might be a little bit different if like, you're doing a password reset email or something because you know that you're sending out information that they need immediately. So, yeah, or an email confirmation to sign up. Uh, yeah, that's another good yeah. example of that. Um, and the stuff with that is you you kind of try to make sure the window is long enough so that when they get it, they can still act on it. But yeah, they could be sitting there for a minute. But you don't let them, you know, break the UI for everybody else because they make the server slow. You're probably also going to want to send some emails out on a schedule. And you need to do that out of band in another process so that when you have bulk emailing workloads, they don't slow your server to a crawl. So, for instance, if you have like a daily email that goes out, GoDaddy, you know, and you're sending it to everybody that's ever interacted with everybody that's ever interacted with you, um, (laughs) which is apparently their list, it doesn't chew up their web server. Um, so they're slow for a different reason. I'm just going to keep beating them over this. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. It may also be useful to have multiple third-party email service providers. The big thing here is if one goes down, you can fail over to a different one. You know, you may have your primary that you do for most things and then a secondary or even tertiary. Yeah. Um, I had to explain what that word meant the other day. I had to explain quaternary a while back. Mm, yeah, I've I've had to explain that one. I, that one gets used less frequently. Um, it's a geological period we're in. I understand the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, rock joke. But yeah, you're you're going to want to do that. The other thing is, is sometimes email service providers will suddenly decide to cut you off because of spam and those kind of things, or because some system there thought you were spamming and you don't want your business subject to that. Next, be careful about the complexity of your email content. While emails support HTML, support is more or less like IE6 supported HTML than the way Chrome currently supports it. Yeah, I don't ever do HTML in my emails. I've, I have seen that. I've actually fixed some, I, I wouldn't really call them legacy. They weren't old, old, but they were before my time applications. And Coprolytic. Yeah. That's the I, phrase I'm going to use for those. Well, I basically just rewrote. It was easier to rewrite it without the HTML than to try to do that. And, I got it so close that the business said they liked what I sent out better. It's less buggy and it works like it looks better. And I'm like, well, yeah, cause it's not trying to support HTML. Yeah. Cause you're not trying to be <laughs> clever running something in some you know, container somewhere that you don't know what it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I get why the person who built it, because they weren't working there anymore. I get why they did that because it was it was like the cool new thing when they did it. And they thought like I could re- legitimately see them thinking, oh, this is gonna get better, so I'll build it now. And then as it gets better at handling HTML, then this will look better and work better. I get that thought process. Yeah, it's reasonable. Yeah, it is, especially for a, like a mid-level developer, which is the person who wrote that. Especially uh, in the early 2000s. Like, yeah. Or even, you know, honestly, even up till now. Like, there's, the way you have to write email for, or write HTML for email is very different than what you do on a website. 
just because there's certain things mm-hmm. that don't work as well. There's certain structures that aren't there. You can't do JavaScript typically. I will be honest with you. If I had not run into those issues, I probably would have done the exact same thing. At, oh, yeah. Like the mid, like at that point in my career where I was like trying out all the stuff, I, I probably would have, but having had to deal with it with someone else's code. <laughs> well, it looks so compelling. I mean, oh, it it just looks like it ought to be beautiful and it's like, this is easy. Absolutely. It, yeah. It traps you. So um, that's not to say that you, you shouldn't do it, but you, you need to be careful uh, yeah. and about how crazy you do things. And especially when you let your marketing people make up a document in some WYSIWYG editor, and then they copy paste the HTML in there. Like, I, I'm going to tell you that will never work. Probably like I feel reasonably confident that the sun will burn out before that that before that actually gets fixed. <laughs> that will be the ticket being closed is the sun going supernova. Just not getting better. I know that, that sounds really uh negative about it, but trust me, I, I'm a hundred percent sure I'm right. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh a lot of stuff that is best practice in a regular application, uh, you know, in the website code is really, really bad for email HTML. You know, so for instance, bringing in large CSS frameworks or any CSS framework because your CSS is pretty much going to be in line if you want it to work okay, not happening. Uh, you probably also want to avoid any kind of external linking, especially to CSS or even to images for that matter because a lot of email clients aren't going to show those. And you know, like I mentioned before, JavaScript is pretty much right out. The thing is like, and this isn't in the the outline, but if you if you want to to make something interactive in your email, like I have seen where there is like a very little minimal interaction in the email, and then there is like it's not the openness in the browser that's more of the HTML thing, but it's like a link to a page for more, and that's a better way of doing it. I know like following links and emails is questionable can be yeah for sure i mean there's a lot of reasons that things are the way they are Mm -hmm. and uh you know email is definitely a situation where tragedy the commons was allowed to reign for far longer than Mm -hmm. we really wanted it to you also have to understand that a lot of email clients really have a their own way of rendering html and they may modify the html that you send for various reasons, uh, some of which, most of which, you're going to realize are stupid. <laughs> um, for instance, they may keep things like tracking pixels from working. They may say, hey, we're not loading that. So you can't tell that this email was opened. They may set the dimensions of the email as it's displayed on screen. They may, they'll do some really weird stuff mm-hmm. that may break things if you're you know, calling into another app. And I think we may talk about that a little bit more if we get time later. The other thing that you need to consider is that your users may want to find your email with a text search, uh, possibly even years down the road where it's way on down there. And overly complex HTML in an email can make this almost impossible. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but because I've had to look for, for stuff. uh, Who is it? It's one of the, the agile companies that like does training sends HTML emails and I've had to look for information from them uh, about a certification a year later. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. It's especially fun when they do like per character text formatting because somebody doesn't realize that that's not searchable. You know, and it's got all this like little spans and stuff. And you know, if you're ever asking a user to write a regex to fix a problem, you're the problem. (laughs) Like their fix yes. is to fire you. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. And they're going to see it that way too. Oh, oh, hey, hey, I, I had a had a really nice moment at work yesterday. We were reviewing some stories for this new project I'm on. And uh, the reason I thought it was, as you said, regex. And they came up and previously when we've done like search fields, we've had to do a lot of regex to be like, all right, this is a, federal alphabetical soup number. I don't know. It, whatever. Oh, for like yeah. validation? 
Yeah, yeah. For like, yeah. It's okay. like you have to I was search, like, like you, you're storing information. You have to like search by it, and so it's like validating the the user input. And I was like, all right, so what's the validation rules? And they're like, there aren't any. I'm like, what? I've got I've got a text field that doesn't have validation rules. Oh no, they can put anything in they want. I'm like, what if they put something that like doesn't make any sense? He's like, we'll handle it on the back end. Like, it's not going to break the database. So, like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wow! That's um, that's some Jurassic Park level stuff right there. <laughs> they, they, they was thinking about whether they could. To, they didn't stop to think whether they should. <laughs> wow! But yeah, it was just like it was one of those. Hey, I, I like it was just nice to go. There may be dashes. There may be this. We don't we don't know all the stuff that's going to be in there, and if they put like we're not worried about them putting in like SQL injection because we're going to handle that. So yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. Still. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it, the thing is it's, it's an internal application, so it's not like going to be facing the world. Yeah. So it gets the gray water, not the black water. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the way that is <laughs> less risk of infection, but <laughs> So uh, another recommendation here, uh, follow guidelines on email content, subject, first line, et cetera. Now, you may not think these are your responsibilities as a developer, but a lot of times what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to tell the people whose responsibility it is to not do certain things or you're going to have to keep them from doing it. For instance, you really don't want huge blocks of text in emails. Sorry for all of our readers. Not only are they less likely to be read in the first place, can vouch for that, but a lot of email clients will thoroughly mangle long form text in a way that is unhelpful to the reader. Oh yeah. So the uh, SEO and formatting for blog posts is extremely different than how you format for an academic paper. Oh yeah. And the same thing with emails. Yeah. Yeah. I've been writing blog posts and episode show notes and stuff for many years. I've been out of academia for a while. So when I wrote my paper, I let Amanda read, like, review it, and she was like, "Why do you only have three sentences in this paragraph?" Yeah, like, what? Is like a lot of the stuff she said. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the way you would write a blog post because that's what I've been writing for so long. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it is different um here's here's one that i ran into a while back as well um you got to be really careful about the title in emails because if the title is too long it may not display well in email clients especially mobile ones Mm -hmm. so like if you have a you know 50 character title and they pull it up on their phone um, unless they got a big honking phone like i do it's probably not going to show it actually probably won't show it on mine now think about it it just doesn't um and this can be really humorous um when it cuts off, I got an email from, I'm trying to think where it was. It was one of those programming blog sites. I want to say it was code project back in the day, but the email was titled or the, the subject line was bugs in your assembler code. Now, can you think of an inopportune place where that might've cut off? <laughs> <laughs> and it did. <laughs> So, of course, I opened it, but <laughs> you, would, you, know, would, you, would. you know, I mean, maybe they may have actually thought that out. So I'm, I'm not sure, but I really don't think they did. Um, mm-hmm. But you got to be kind of careful about that because it, it'll jump up and get you sometimes. Yeah, I'm looking at my my email right now. Yeah, there's quite a few of them that don't continue on or that like that don't fit on here. Yeah, and, and that's okay as long as it conveys what it is. But yeah. a lot of them will put, you know, some some crap at the beginning that makes it completely indistinguishable from any other one that's from the same thing, and so you can't tell what it is. Like error emails are real bad for that, mm-hmm. or support ticket type type things. Uh, so just be aware of that the first line of an email should also give useful information about what it contains. This is often shown in previews of the message in many email clients. So the subject will be there and then there's a little blurb underneath where you can kind of see what's in there. MailChimp actually lets you set that separately and they hide the element and they do some kind of shenanigans to make that 
go in. Yeah, it's actually quite nice. Yeah, it's it's very similar to WordPress has a thing that uh, will. It's called excerpt, but it's what shows up in searches. Yeah, but it doesn't show up on the on the site, which is really nice because you can kind of like trim it to get the core information, and then be more verbose in your actual post or email in this case. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. Also avoid using stuff such as excessive links, misspellings, profanity, and words likely to trigger spam filters. Uh, yeah. Crypto is a good example right now. Yeah. That's a big spam filter trigger word. Yeah, I don't even like mentioning it in audio in the podcast because it's getting hit pretty hard right now with that kind of stuff, unfortunately. So next, consider your attachment sizes. Printing email, who prints email, uh, is often... There was that one dude at the art department in Lipscomb that burned up an HP 4000 printer. Watch him do that. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly who you're talking about, yes. It's very common for transactional emails to also have attachments. However, like the previous consideration around HTML, you may also find that attachments are difficult. Especially if they're PDFs. Uh, If you looked into that file format, it is of the devil. I mean, it it works, but man, oh, I hate poking around in the innards of PDFs. There are a lot of legit reasons you print by the way, like printing a receipt so you can expect yeah. something um, is, is a classic example. Some file types, you know, things like zip files, uh, executables, those you know, DLLs, code files of a lot of different types, they're useless in email context because virus scanning software and email rules will bar them from being received. So like if you ever get a file from me that ends in a .waz extension, W-A-Z, that means was zip. Yeah. And you just change the extension and fix it back. And I know you know that convention from me. <laughs> I have used that convention from you <laughs> yeah. because I had to send some stuff to, to some of our ops people in a zip file and it wouldn't go. So we eventually set up a file share that I could just drop it off there and they could pick it up when they needed it. But when we first started that project, it was a pain. Yeah. Other file types. Microsoft Office, for instance, may be actively scanned by antivirus software. These things are prone to false positives a lot, and this can hurt deliverability kind of at random. Uh, The software may even scan the internals of some files looking for links to hostile websites. Yep, they'll do that with Word documents for sure. One other thing I didn't mention above is that those documents have a lot of the same problems that emails do. They're rendered in different clients. Versions of Microsoft Office are not necessarily compatible with each other. And I know that that sounds really shocking, but there's a reason that when you hit a tab on a numbered list to fix spacing, that all of a sudden you hear sirens in the distance. (laughs) It's because it just breaks all the things. I think they have some code problems in the guts of Office, and you will encounter them when you send attachments. Just a word to the wise there. Yeah, I mean, you'll see stuff that happens that you're like, how did you even, like, why are you opening this in Office 95? Like, why are you trying that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you know. <laughs> governmental <laughs> governmental stuff is good for that. And so is anything that has uh, regulatory elements in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the places I've worked have had a lot of the same kind of deal. You get some dude out on a farm somewhere that bought a computer in 1993. And for some reason, the thing is still running, even though he chain smokes, <laughs> you know, it, you know, he can't, you can't pull the memory out, but it's glued in with the, the tar from his cigarettes, but yeah, oh, yeah. it's still running. So, uh, just be aware of that. Um, and you also need to be uh, careful about the size of any files you attach. Uh, different email providers have very different policies on this. Some of them are pretty small. And, you know, they're really, really out of date. Now, the other thing, too, is if they fill up their inbox on some providers, that's still a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and attachments will do it very quickly. So next, we're going to talk about spam filters. 
Yeah. Spam filters are another fun problem. Now, we've already discussed some stuff that might trigger spam filters, including misspellings like the one I just deleted out of the outline right there. Not really sure what happened there. There are quite a few other things that can cause problems that we haven't discussed. Uh, For instance, many spam filtering engines will actually learn from users who mark emails as spam. And this can mean that you get spotty deliverability at best. So, you know, they got a bunch of emails regarding crypto and their users clicked and said, hey, this is spam. I don't want it. Well, if you're a crypto provider and your users happen to be signed up there and they do want those emails, they may not get them because the systems learned that. Yeah. So one of the pitfalls of machine learning is that the machines learn. <laughs> and sometimes, the same way as humans do. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes they don't they don't learn the right stuff. Like they they only learn what you teach them. Yeah. And you don't you don't always know what you're teaching them. Is the, yeah. especially when you get enough people involved. That's true. That's very true. Spam filters can also keep some resources, such as images, from loading in your emails and or disable links that you've included. If you're user base isn't particularly savvy, this can become a support issue. I know like Outlook will do this yeah. where it will I mean, it's a setting. You can change it, but it won't uh, download the pictures and it'll have a little bar there at the email that says click to download images. Yeah, and I see that every day for stuff I need and have to click on it. So I did not know there was a setting. I will go look at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's never, yeah, learned helplessness for people. You might also find that spam filtering or just your email client in general, as well as some email service providers, like to screw around with links. And this is what we talked about earlier. Uh, in particular, they may redirect the user to an intermediate location first so that they can track that you clicked on it and then forward them on with a, th- you know, with a uh, 302 mm-hmm. redirect. I think it's a 302 or 301. I, I can't remember exactly how it was implemented, like in Yahoo, but they do one or the other. Mm-hmm. This might not be a big deal in a lot of circumstances, but it's something to keep in mind when you write code that lives at the URL that a link references. So you may be looking going, oh, is this, you know, did they go to this address before? Well, they redirected somewhere else first. And now it's not what you thought it was going to be for some reason. Yeah, that can be tricky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about links and spam filters and stuff especially for non not very tech savvy people i like to include the full link text and not just a link tag because uh, or anchor tag or whatever because they're going to like they'll have like just a little bit of technology and be like oh i shouldn't click on links and emails yeah they'll copy and paste though Co- yeah but they will be okay with copying and pasting and so like Maybe not for everything, but or maybe sometimes like I'll include it at the bottom, just like the list of links for them. It's just something that depending on your audience, you kind of think about. So speaking of thinking about things, the last best practice we have for you is to be careful about leaking sensitive data in emails. Yeah. Emails get forwarded. Turns out that's a core feature of SMTP. So it's it's going to happen. And this can happen years after those emails are received. And mm-hmm. email accounts are often easily hacked. Uh, Yahoo had issues for years with this. Uh, I don't have Yahoo email on my phone because my email account got the password breached and I had to reset so many times. I got tired of putting it in on my phone and it just isn't there anymore because of that. Like It's, it's a big issue. And this can mean that sensitive information gets disclosed if it was ever put in an email and left there. Now, I delete those, so it's not a big deal. But for a lot of people, it definitely is. And you got to understand that it's not just the contents of email that is necessarily sensitive. The fact that your users even got an email from you is enough to cause problems depending on the situation. So if you're a divorce attorney, for instance, and you're sending out bulk emails to people, that's an issue that you that they got one. Yeah. Potentially. So you do have to kind of, you have to think through that kind of stuff. Another great example is uh, Amazon has started kind of trimming what they put in the emails that they send out as receipts because 
providers like Google were like, oh, you bought this thing from Amazon. Let me show you where it's cheaper. And, and those kind of games get played too, right? Like that's very lightly sensitive for most things, but it's still something to be aware of. So be really careful about what you put in emails and keep it minimal. Yeah, it's it's quite annoying. I mean, Amazon themselves are quite annoying because, you know, you go on, you buy something like a Christmas present for someone and then they show up like, oh, you looked at this. And so there's all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually getting that with uh, USB charging stands right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I, I It's annoying. Like, I'm not collecting them. They (laughs) thankfully they put it, they, they did eventually move it lower on the page. So it doesn't like pop up right at like, you know, but it's just, it's obnoxious. I'm like, like I get what they're doing with that, but it's also like one, not very useful because a lot of times the stuff you're buying is not like, you know, something you buy a bunch of, or you buy different types of, you know, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I get emails you know, from some Russian bookstores now. And I get enough of them in Gmail that apparently it has bled over to YouTube and now I get Russian ads before, like if I want to watch a Let's Play on a video game, I get ads in Russian. Yeah. Which actually, I kind of like, but I didn't know I could, <laughs> I, if, I'd, if I'd known I could have done that, I'd have done it on purpose. But <laughs> Yeah, 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 I gotcha. But actually, yeah, that would be disconcerting for somebody. Users also occasionally mistype their email address or use a fake one. I mean, honestly, I have used test at test.com so many times because a lot of times developers will put that in as like, that's what they use for testing the system and then leave it in there. So it like lets me use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, like if I was going to ever breach an email account, it would be bill at Microsoft.com because I know Thousands of developers have sent all kinds of crap there. The thing is, is like you really want to have a two-step confirmation process before you send an email with anything sensitive. Basically, the only thing you send before that is an email with a link to confirm that they actually own that account. Mm -hmm. Sensitive data includes email addresses as well. So make sure you're careful about things like, Will's already talked about this a little bit, but about your, your two and your CC. You'd be surprised how often this gets really messed up. Yeah, so I've gotten two emails that I was not supposed to get this week with very sensitive things in them. One was at at the day job and the other one was at the consulting company that I, I worked through. And, you know, we got it sorted out and I keep my mouth shut, you know, other than going, hey, this happens. But it's definitely a thing. Now, imagine you sent, you know, something really sensitive and you, you know, CC'd a few hundred people by mistake. That's potentially criminally actionable, depending on what it is. I've not seen that, but I have seen because like I think Outlook will sense what you're sending. Yeah. And or typing uh, IntelliSense kind of thing. And someone who sent out like the daily email to everyone was sending someone else. I think it was just a thank you for a birthday card or something. I mean, it was not sensitive at all, but they sent it to the big group. Like yeah. everyone got it. <laughs> like, this was a while back too. Like, I don't even think I was in development at the time. <laughs> it was just yeah. a funny thing. But the thing is, is, you know, if those emails bounce around, like somebody could get, for instance, if you CC your entire company's uh, business contact list or all your client list mm-hmm. in some email. And one of the people that signed up is actually a competitor. Guess what they just got? Yeah. It's a pretty uh, bad deal. Mm -hmm. Not going to lie there. Yeah. That's why you don't want to like actually have the groups in there. You have like a, a group name that sends it out. Yeah. But that's a whole nother story. Guys dealing with email in a large application is complex and it's getting worse all the time, frankly. Because email had a variety of security, privacy, and spam issues in the early days and now, and basically have a lot of email-related interactions that have gotten more complex and they're not consistent across platforms. Um, In addition, you have to get email right if you don't want to have performance and stability problems with your application. So 
follow these practices and then see where you get. It's not going to fix everything, but it's going to kind of take the edge off. And that pretty much wraps us up. Beach, what do you have this week for us for Tricks of the Trade? So I have this mug that I really like. Um, I don't have it in the, the office with me, but basically it says, I survived another meeting that could have been an email. It's one of my favorite mugs. I absolutely love it. And then I have another one, or not another mug, but there's uh, this meme I saw not too long ago. That was like, to all the boomers, us millennials prefer texting because we consider it politer than having yeah. to take time out because it's asynchronous. And so since we talked about, about email in this episode, I wanted to say that the form of communication you choose has a really a massive effect yeah, mass effect on the transfer of information email text or just messaging in like such a slack severely limit what can be passed to just the text content like you can have emojis that give a little bit but a lot of times it leaves out tone mood and don't even try sarcasm in text cuz yeah, some of us don't get sarcasm in in the real world. So like that, that's just yeah, just not a a thing, especially at work. <laughs> that's just dangerous, y'all. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, then you you move up the chain a little bit there, and you go from from emailing, texting to talking on the phone. And you do that, you can you can convey a little bit of tone if you're really really good at verbal communication, you can probably communicate some sarcasm or you guys know, Will and I have learned how to communicate air quotes with just the way that we, you know, we change our voice when we say stuff, when we say stuff. <laughs> it helps if you do the air quotes while you're doing it, but you know. yeah, I noticed that <laughs> changes the pressure in your uh, larynx. So you sound like you're higher up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. That's real science. Yeah. Moving from email to tech or to, to talking on the phone, add some. You you go a step up from that and you hop on a video call. Like Will and I are on a video call right now. And we can see each other's facial expressions. We can see like our our hand movements, you know. Will can probably see the bags under my eyes because I haven't been sleeping well this week, you know? And I shrunk the Zoom window, so I can't, but I know what you mean. <laughs> and I you know, really, really liked you in Return of the Jedi, by the way. Oh, thanks, thanks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's just... The Emperor, you, not Java. Yeah, I, oh, okay. thanks. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, that's <laughs> I wanted to clear that up, make you feel a little better. A little bit better, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so when you get there, you get even more... And, and then, of course, you know, the top tier here is in-person communication. Like when we first started the podcast, I was going over to Will's place because it made the interaction a lot easier to physically be there. There's certain things that you just can't pick up in video that you do. Smells, for one. Now, <laughs> I don't know. That's just the first thing I thought of. So that's but, why uh, you didn't get me any scented candles this year. I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... uh I just what I'm really getting at here, guys, is that when you're communicating via text, remember there's a lot of metadata or kind of information about the message that you're not sending or receiving. So that's pretty much it. Check out the aftercast where we're going to talk about some things you need to know to be successful in using enterprise emails such as DKIM, SPF. DMARC, as well as how to go about testing email functionality in a way that is sustainable. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. 
You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.